0: Hello oh, and welcome into the Facts Not Feelings podcast powered by BZ Consultants Group with your host, Brooke Furnace. Each week, I sit down with experts in the respected fields as we discuss how we can move this wonderful automotive industry forward by differentiating facts from feelings. Our conversation explore how my guests got to where they are today and how they achieve success. All right, let's jump in. Welcome into Facts Not Feelings. We're coming today with a special digital dealer episode. Joining me today is an all-star panel of guests who are driving innovation for automotive brands from leveraging the latest in Google Analytics to organic and paid to even a little bit more. We are going to be getting under the hood of the most high octane tactics of marketing right now. So buckle up and grip the wheel as we peel out of the driveway and down the digital highway. It's time to shift into high gear on the cutting edge of online strategies of automotive. Whether you're a small dealership or maybe a big brand, our guests have solutions to turbocharge your digital presence. So let's fire up our engines and see where this journey takes us today with our amazing digital dealer special today of our panel that we will be at Digital Dealer Wednesday, I believe at one o'clock, don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure we're at one o'clock with the April All-Stars 2.0, as we call it. So let's kick things off with the one and only Mike. Mike. Oh Mike, I was prepping this question beforehand because I knew I was going to kick it off to you first. And I'm already getting a little bit of a as I start to prep this question because I know with Reunion Marketing, I'll start with your title as I start with this and call myself down as we as I say you're the operation director of Reunion Marketing. Google analytics for ga4 and i'm like already ready to take a drink of something which i can't say it's in my cup because we're talking about google analytics for this first question yeah. here <laughs> but you are the forefront of google analytics for and with it being the standard even though like every time we log in we can't see anything and it drives us freaking crazy or the reports don't work or oh there's a seven hour two hour delay whatever it may be how do you see this change in the game for automotive brands
1: Oh geez, that's a huge question, Brooke. So thank you. <laughs> Hope everyone's having a oh, wonderful day. Thank you, right? Yeah. Right. Go, thank you. Yeah, I think uh, you know, after having set up over 700 GA4s in the last year, I can say that GA4 is an incredible addition to a digital marketing strategy. I think that it will provide a ton of contextual understanding, but only if you are doing the correct things. Right? You know. And I do want to start off by saying, by doing the correct things, I think a huge leap forward is something like the Automotive Standards Council. I do believe that if you are abiding by those events and you are setting up the custom definitions, you're putting yourself into a position as an organization to isolate positives, negatives within your entire on-website strategy. And so overall, I think GA4 is great. But GA4 is only as great as the complementary additions that you're willing to take. And I mean, everything from the ASC events to properly setting up your Google Tag Manager, to properly setting up your reporting identity, even the filters, right? If you're not filtering out your traffic from your dealership, you're going to find yourself in a position where you're reporting on traffic that isn't really real, right? And so I think at the end of the day, GA4 right now is in that phase where, for most organizations, it's extremely strategic, extremely emphasized the focus on setting up things correctly. I think we're going to get into that a little bit more today, but I do think overall, I mean, GA4, I mean, it's been. <laughs> it's been that countdown that like I mean, I'm getting heart palpitations just talking about this right now because I'm like, oh, God, goodness, where do I start? That's but, why I
0: said you don't know it's my cup right now. Like it leads us all to drinking. So I 100% agree yeah, with that.
1: Yeah. I was like, I was sitting there and I was practicing this conversation earlier and I was like, she's going to ask me this question and I'm <laughs> going to be trying not to ramble on. And so in in, in, in no but short words, I would say that GA4 is going to have a cataclysmic impact on the way that we report across the digital marketing sphere, especially with automotive.
0: So let's just recap here, 700 dealerships you've set up and you use Cataclysmic. So I think that we've hit every spot at that point. Yeah. So you've got a smaller dealership, let's say, yes. and they have limited resources of trying to set this all up. What is your advice to them?
1: Oh, goodness. So there's a couple key points, I think. You know, I think one thing that's really hard for a lot of dealerships they're going in, and this was hard for me, was I started utilizing Universal Analytics when I was a freshman in college. And so we're talking, it's been about 15 years since that has occurred. And so I have become very ingrained with every single nook and cranny of that thing, you know, right? Setting up custom reports, doing all these things. And so I think at the most basic level, if you are setting up your uh, GA4, the most basic things that you can start with are essentially your uh, GTM review, you know, making sure that GTM is set up appropriately so that you can actually have your measurement ID and you're sending information in. I believe that working with the CMS on having ASC standard events pumped in along setting in custom definitions, things like your property settings, just making sure that you have the correct name and URL. I don't think many people realize just if you add the wrong URL and and any URL that you try to select within a landing page report, it will go to the improper place, right? We've seen that happen before. And so it's basic things like setting up your property settings, making sure your account access management is in a good place. You know, we've seen a lot of back and forth right now about individuals saying, oh, you know, we don't want to give access to so-and-so. I recommend to every single dealer that you should be the number one, you should own it. And you should be able to have full control over it, be able to give it to whoever you want so that they cannot promote actions or events in which you don't fully condone. Um, there's things like attribution review, just making sure that your attribution settings are in a good place so that you can properly associate traffic and conversions to the correct place. And we all know that the, to transition from a goal to a conversion is already a big enough change. Uh, yeah, you
2: know. yes. yeah,
1: going, yeah. From, going from that hierarchy to a one-to-one hierarchy has been quite the change, especially across even our SEM strategies, or social strategies. So those are some basic things right there. Another thing I'd throw out there is Google Signals. I think Google Signals on the face of it is a very beautiful thing, but if you set it up too early, you're going to find yourself in a thresholding. (laughs) Nightmare? Thresholding, right? Things like that. You know, you have enhanced measurement. You've got just Google product integration, making sure that Google Ads and Search Console are properly integrated as well. I have a list of about 60 things here that we go through, so I'm not going to go through every single one, but those are some of the big ones. Well,
0: let's have a whole episode just on that. I think is what we need to do.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
0: So let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, Al, I'm gonna come to you next on this. Is that we've got organic I can't
3: and paint. For anything I'm GA4. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're like, I'm done, I'm tapped out, no more on this. My head's gonna explode, and that's kind of how I feel at this point as well. So we've got organic and paid now. And for anyone that doesn't know Al, first off, you need to know Big Al because he's Big Al and he is the chief marketing officer at Feldman Auto. Where do you see this balance of heading into obviously our sector, but where do you see this balance right now?
3: You know, it's, it's a very interesting question, you know, and a lot of that weighs on, you know, what your goals are at a store. You know, if you're, you know, if you're just trying to, you know, keep, you know, even Steven and just keep things going, you know, you're going to have a different strategy, but if you're in, you know, acquisition mode and you're trying to gain market share, it's going to be a little bit different, but overall, you know, my strategy, or at least we definitely made a strong shift, is we're very SEO strong, you know. And if you go into your analytics, if you know your organic isn't number one, you need to make that shift. Just a hundred percent need to make that shift. Organic and direct should be your top traffic drivers to your website. But with that, you know, it's like in, I've I've heard a lot of arguments on both sides of the fence. You know, on you know if you do your organic correctly, you don't need paid search, and uh, I I disagree with that. A you know, a thousand percent, you know, the thing that I've always said about, you know, when you talk about paid search is it's relevant to the digital unsavvy. You know, you take everybody who's on this, this call right now, uh, anyone who's going to watch this, you know, we use this terminology all the time. We talk about it, but the average person, they don't understand. You know, I always play this little game when I'm on the road, you know, I'm at a bar or restaurant, you know, I'll hand my phone to a server just like, Hey, show me how you search for a car you know, and the digital savvy, they'll always go to Safari, they'll type in something and then they start scrolling. And I'm like, and I always ask them, why'd you scroll? Well, I want to get paid, uh, get by the paid ads. They understand that. I guarantee you. And I know for a fact, if I do that with my mom, she's going to click on the thing on the top and I'll ask her, why'd you click on that? She goes, well, cause that's what Google said was the first thing to click on. Cause she just doesn't know the difference. And so there's are still a, ton of people clicking on paid ads and will continue to click on paid ads. But for me, it's one of those things where it's like organic and direct needs to be top. You know, you need your focus on that. And, you know, as you're looking into SEO, it's, it's truly understanding what it is. You know, it isn't just some, you know, digital provider writing, you know, 10 pages of content and sticking them on your page every single month, which I think a lot of people still identify that as SEO, you know, but it's also your Google My Business. Are you optimizing that? You know, because actually... You know, I'm, I'm very strong on Google My Business business because if you're doing that correctly, you might never even get them to your website, you know, because they can interact with you right there from Google My Business. You know, it's like, and we live in a society now and it's like you watch people shop. We all do it, you know, whether it's restaurants or clothing or whatever, you know, we want to take the path of least resistance, you know, one single clicks, you don't want to have to click in the stuff all the time. So, you know, focusing on things like that, backlinking any article or anything can get back to your website, just so... Anytime there's a search, you know, you are the most relevant information out there. I don't know if that answers the question, but it
0: does. It I does 100%. You're talking all about that. All I can think is like the amount of time, the number of times I would, the, one of the practices I would do, either whether I was in the store or literally showing and leaving video, making videos in dealership to be like, okay, so I can see that based on your traffic, then the majority of your paid ads are being clicked on in house. So let's actually make a, a, a bookmark. So you guys will stop clicking on your damn ads because you're just, you're taking that away from your own yeah. customers clicking on them. So we'd have to have the best practice. Okay, let's make a bookmark. Let's make a you know favorite because even in house, they're all clicking on their own ads. Well, that's driving up the, so that your own, your own customers can't click on them. Yeah. So to your point the the normal, normal, I won't say normal because I'm definitely not normal, but the average human being out there is going to click on the ads. It, the, the They're just not, uh, do you see, that's so the first thing they click on. I mean, even here, I have to tell our family members, please stop clicking on the ad. Just click on the organic thing. we are like, oh, what's organic? I'm like, God, oh, what are you doing? How do you not know what that is?
3: Or it's, and Google keeps changing how they label them, you know, yep. just because like people keep figuring it out. Okay. So now it says sponsored, you know, it used to be different colors, you know, it's, they keep changing it. Why? Because we need to trick people because they keep figuring out what it is, you know? So yeah, I got to see one step ahead of that and just understanding that it's, You know, people are going to click on what seems relevant to what they're asking, you know, so uh, paid ads. And again, that's why you say it. I, you know, I definitely have had a different strategy when it comes to paid ads over the past few years. I'll never get off of it. You know, I'm not going to be as as aggressive as I used to be. But like I said, people are going to still click on them. And, you know, it's like and it's not bad traffic either, you know, because people are clicking on it because they think it's valid information. You know, the key thing is, you know, making sure you're set up to the correct landing pages and you're giving the correct information to help them. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. Making sure the ad copy is correct. It's going to the right page, all right place, right time, right person. So taking this is a little step further of you've got the paid ads, you've got organic, but then there's a social component out there. And I know that you, you are constantly saying, okay, are we doing this correctly? Are we on the right platform? And the social media sites out there, and there's a lot of emerging different, whether it's threads, whatever it may be. So what out there, what are those emerging platforms out there or what platforms do you, I won't say feel, but which ones should the dealerships be using out there?
3: Uh, all of them, you know, but it's the problem that, you know, and we definitely run into this with our group, is how do you utilize each platform? Most stores, from what I see, they take the same strategy and they try to use that strategy across every different platform, which is the wrong idea. You have a different audience on every single platform. And I learned, you know, the hard way, you know, obviously when we partner with a celebrity, you know, when we put a social media page out there, I'm seeing on large scale how people interact, you know, so your crowd on Facebook is a completely different audience than on Instagram. So if you're delivering the same ads on Facebook that you're delivering on Instagram, you're not touched, you know, having the right conversation. you know, TikTok's another great example. You know, it's like you can't deliver a Facebook type ad on TikTok. People are interacting in a different way right there. And in stores, and we struggle with this as a group, you know, and I'm sure many people can attest to that. It's a lot of that has to be organic. Okay. If you're not creating organic content, you know, it doesn't matter what agency you you partner with, but organic content, especially on platforms like TikTok and their Instagrams and stuff like that. That's what people want to interact with. And it's also having the patience to start a campaign. You know, it's like a lot of people say, hey, we're going to go and we're going to start something. But again, if people are going to social media to interact. To enjoy content, you know, it's not going to create a lead instantly, you know. And it's that's where people give up. It's like, wait, I've had this Instagram page going. You know, we're creating all this content, we're getting all these likes, we're getting all these views. And then you get a general manager say, "But well, where's my sales?" You know, it's not going to happen overnight. So it's it's understanding what that strategy is. And the thing that I suggest to anybody is, you find somebody who knows what they're talking about because I and I don't. When it comes to, I don't. I trust other people. You tell me what content belongs on this platform and then we'll create that platform. I don't know.
0: I was like, go hire a 16 year old that's on, like, same thing. Like, I got on TikTok. I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. This is like, so the generation below me. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I go hire a 16 year old that's on all the time because this exact same thing. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. So,
3: very true. Yeah, my 12 year old, he has 15,000 followers and all he does is make videos of video games stuff. Go <laughs> whatever
0: yeah I see, like I, I was looking at something uh, uh with some podcaster and they had fifteen thousand followers. I'm like,'m I'm like, how the hell does this person have fifteen? And I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, so but it's just like you don't know what's gonna catch and so you just don't know. And so just once again, investing in the people that do know that's the biggest thing because yes. find your weaknesses and I know what I where I suck. like I know that I suck at this and I suck at this. so I'm gonna hire people that are really, really good at that to make me better. Because well, I, they're much better at it.
3: And that's the second part of that, too, that, you know, it's that we've had to adopt, too, is that necessarily that person you're who's going to be doing that for you. And it's hard for us to think like this in the dealership uh, lifestyle because it's always about every position needs to be a producing position. Well, guess yeah. what? That person's not going to be producing money for you. It's okay. Here's a strategy. This is what we want to go out here. We're going to have to pay them and then not look and say, how much money did we make off of what they did? You yeah. know, just, you know, picking a strategy and sticking with it. And learning how to shift, you know, when all of a sudden you see like, hey, we put this kind of content out there and people are liking that. OK, let's start creating more of that content. You never know. It's mm-hmm. it's so it's just kind of move it with. But like you said, and like I do, it's hire people that know what they're talking about. Trust them and let them teach you.
0: Amen. All right. Let's shift a little bit over here. Let's go. Let's going to dive into the world of fix ops and. Miss Allie Peters, the newly appointed VP of service at Cavendar Auto Group. Uh, we are coming right to you, babe. Is, so the land, uh, landscape of fix auto, auto. So I would say it's, I think it's evolved a lot recently. And I want you to talk a little bit about this. There's so many ways we can take this. We're going through, so I was going through some notes that you sent over, and whether it's the female aspect of it, whether it's the marketing like I'm just going to, I'm going to leave this wide open and I'm just going to let you run with this one. <laughs>
4: Well, all right. So I hope you have my walking off music because I'll just <laughs> know it as long as you let me. So I completely agree. I, I wholeheartedly have felt a shift in the last three years in fixed ops. And I think for me, one of the things i really, really, am passionate about, I love talking about it, is the people aspect of it. So I was giggling to myself earlier when you were talking about TA4 because I swear you were speaking another language. I just was <laughs> nodding like, I, I knew that seventh word that you said, and I okay, I'm back. We're good. Let's go because it is completely out of my wheelhouse. And so, I think for me, what has been fun to watch and to learn, and oh, I'm really grateful because I have a lot of partners here that are teaching me, but how what I do in the dealership with my teams translates now onto that digital platform and into. Uh, things that are not just, oh, look at my website, click on my coupon and come and see us. And so how we interact and how we engage with our community and how we're we're more than just a car dealership or we're just the place where you get your oil changed. And so I'm seeing that shift in social media. I'm seeing that um, that large presence online and we're really embracing that here. Uh, but yeah, so for me, it's just been, it, it's, it's not what it was when I started thirteen years ago, which is really exciting because I would be very bored if it was what it was in twenty eleven. And so, um, it's just constantly evolving. And I think the other part too is just really the shift. And it's not the it's not my dad or my grandpa's environment anymore. We're not working six days a week, bell to bell. And you're not a bad person if you're not doing that. You're we're not. Um, I mean we're finding ways to live our life and still be very impactful in our job and in our career and with the people that we're responsible for. And I think that people for so long have had to have their guard up when they come to the service department. And I I believe that we're starting to change that, that rebuilding that trust, recognizing or our customers recognizing that we're, we're just real people who want to help them. And so for me, it's exciting to see how we kind of can like ripple out. And like we're talking about the online presence, the social media presence, and what that looks like as we continue forward. Because it is, I feel like we're in uncharted territory and it's very exciting to be a part of. <laughs> so let's take, I want to unpack that just a little
0: bit more. So if you've got a dealership right now that is looking to set up their fixed ops department and they want to set it up for success, what pillars should they be focusing on to do just that?
4: People. And I know that sounds silly. I know. It's my go-to. I should just pat it up or, you know, one of these are stamps. But I actually do have one. They'll love people. Of cars. <laughs> I believe it. So I think that you look at how do we take care of customers? So the old school or traditional mentality was be open as much as you can because if someone has an emergency, you need to be there for them. Okay. I don't disagree with that statement. But the flip side is how do you set up? an environment where you have people who want to come and work there day in and day out, year in and year out and stay and you retain these people who then build the relationships with the customers who might have an emergency, who then have a relationship with this one person who can help navigate them through that, whether that's calling a tow truck or helping them with an Uber or Lyft. So I think it's just kind of flipping that mentality and really thinking about if I'm going to be successful, I'm going to take care of the people that I have on my team. And if they feel valued, if they feel cared for, they're going to give everything to these customers. And then it just is a forever relationship. And, and then when you want to grow, it's very easy because you have that reputation of taking care of people. Going a little bit further even on that is that yeah. you're talking about people. You're talking about people.
0: And yes, the customers are there. When you start to, hey, we're not going to work six days a week. We're not going to work those bell the bells. While you're saying that, yes, at the customer, really what you're focused on is your employee. Oh,
4: absolutely. That's and exactly. so,
0: yeah. So when you focus on the employee, the employee is now like, wait a minute, wait, so you actually care about me? Either? Wait, wait, what is this crazy talk you're talking about right now? Yeah. So when you do that, though, you're putting the employee first, but then then when they do that, it's like, oh, wait, now I can actually focus on the customer. And when you're looking at the employee, why? And diving in that, I know we've done a lot of shows on focusing on that, And you know, the whether it's the culture or the leadership. But all about that is so insanely vital because now they can focus on what is really important, which is the customer. And Absolutely. all of that from top down is so important. So I love that you, oh, it's so, so important. I love it.
4: Well, that. I think this becomes my organic conversation. Uh, the gal's talking organic in a different way. This, be- Yeah, it just becomes natural and an extension of who you are when you feel taken care of, when you feel valued, when you feel supported by the person that's your boss, person that employs you. You don't even have to think about that anymore. You know that mm-hmm. feeling. I think we probably have all worked somewhere where there's a person who walk in and everyone goes, "Oh no, so and so, here. everyone on your best behavior." Or what are they doing here? Who's getting fired? Like change. I mean, and I think in this business we have that just because it is what it was and how we got here. But I think changing that, where people always and maybe always is strong, but often, more often than not, feel very, very safe and very secure in their workplace. That part goes out of your brain, and then it frees up every part of that to take care of the task at hand, which is ultimately the customer. I, I agree.
0: I agree. All right. So now let's let's dive into the wonderful world of CDP. So we've got Mike, who is the chief revenue officer at Full Pass. So Mike, let's let's break down the advantages of CDPs. Like, so if someone is there, for, maybe for some reason this is the first time they're hearing of a CDP, and they're like, "What the hell did you just say, Brooke?" So break down the advantage of what, first off, what a CDP is. Let's break down that first real quickly. And then number one, no, number two is break down the advantages of our of CDPs to our listeners.
2: Yes. Um, and who, who doesn't love another acronym uh, to remember? <laughs>
0: Come on, we're NASA. We have more acronyms than NASA. Come on.
2: I mean, look, we, we were getting stale. So we said, hey, look, we need to bring a new one into automotive." So first, what a CDP is acronym, acronym stands for a customer data platform. And a customer data platform, um, you know, for some of the people on the call or some of the people listening, it's extremely common if you if you look outside Love Automotive, if you look into, uh, you know, other verticals. And it's and really what it does is it boils down and it looks at your entire first-party data set. So basically all of your customers. And it, it really re- revolves around three things. One is identity resolution. So for Al and Ali, I'm sure you guys have, uh, you know, if I did business with you or Brooke there would be four or five or six or seven different Mike or Brooks in your database. So step number one is you take those all of those customers and you put them into one single view of a customer. You have one view of Mike or Brooke and I'm marketing to one of those people. Second is then you you can then take all of that once you've resolved all of your IDs and you use. We normally what we we take is around seven to ten years of data is where we see kind of the kind of starts to fall off after that. You know eight nine 10, 11 year. And we and we pull all those customers into audiences. So what that does is now, if you think about dealership, and Allie was talking about people, and if you think about how you know automotive has worked, there's a lot of like manual processes. And as we we're talking about paid, I'll talk about like a customer match campaign for anyone that has worked in the, uh, the ad world. And the other Mike, I'm sure you know this: is you you go to a dealership, you pull a list, and I get this, and we all know that they perform great. Right The problem is is that we don't do them enough, and most of the people that we talk with is that when they do it, they say, "Yeah, it's great, and, and it works all the time, but I still have time to do all this stuff." And what a CDP does is it basically runs around the clock. so if you, if you were to boil it down even simpler, it's a data layer that sits between your website, your advertising, and all of your first party data. And what it does is that it boils it down into a single view of a customer so it knows. If Brooke bought a car from Al, and we know that Brooke's lease or finance is coming up, and we're sending her marketing messages, well, now I can see how often Brooke is interacting with those, and or what Brooke is looking at on the site, and how frequently she is doing that. So now, what it allows you to do is actually get a better lens into all of your customers. Instead of, you know, unfortunately, right now, what what we kind of operate in in automotive is that we operate in thirty to sixty day time frames. So if I submit a lead on uh, one of Al's stores, I I I am great for Al for thirty to sixty days, and if I don't buy in those thirty to sixty days, well, guess what happens next? De- I get, I, yeah, I get put in this random, you know, hey, well, you know, it's the it's the middle of the month, and and the the BSSAB used car director goes, I gotta sell more cars, and we go, Al, blast my database and tell them I want to buy their car, right? <laughs> So we gazillion different oh. ads. <laughs> right. So so we send out this stuff and it's like boom, we blast. And then and then and then you get, you know, it's not personal. So, you know, going back to kind of how this started, if you think about like GA4, getting a better lens into what what we're doing, uh, getting into what Al was talking about of like be smarter in terms of how, how we're spending. And you know, what Ali was talking about on, on the people side is now you can actually see what your entire data set is doing and how frequently those people are doing it. And then you get into now delivering a relevant message to the customer because you know that much more about what they're doing and how they're interacting. So that, that I mean, I could go on forever, but if you were to boil it down, that's kind of the, the nuts and bolts of a, of a CDP.
0: And I, I love how you broke it down there. Like It's so vital that people start thinking differently of how the CDPs work and how the marketing works and the advertising. So it doesn't matter if it's on the sell side, the fix-up side. It doesn't really matter what side it's on. Because it really comes down to, hey, I'm now hitting the, you're not going to hit the person, you're hitting them with marketing and advertising that it's the right time, the right place, the right space. So instead of, I was talking to Denise with with PCG recently, we're just talking all about CDPs and what have you. And we're saying, you know, it really is that mindset change of instead of, oh, I'm going to have my two, my one evergreen campaign going on. I'm gonna have my fixed stops going on, my sales going on. No, no, you have like 20 or 30 different, maybe 50 different campaigns going on all at once. But it's right. it's going directly saying, Oh, this person's looking at this, this person's looking at this, this person's looking at this, and they're all going at the same time. And it's really changed that once again. I said mindset like six times, but it really is that mindset shift of they're all going at the same time because everybody's interested in something different. And so if right. uh, Brooke's interested in uh the whatever vehicle of, let's go toyota corolla because i'm interested in toyota curl apparently and al is interested in a uh, honda crv and we've got ali interested in a bmw uh, 7 series why are why are we, why is everyone getting the exact same thing that makes absolutely right. no sense at all and then if we have some service campaigns well they just bought a vehicle why are we still sending them Hey, are you interested in the vehicle? Well, no shit. I'm no, of course I'm not. Why are you still sending me this information? I was just yeah. in for service. Let's hit them and say, how about you come in for service? I, yeah. Why are you still sending me this information? Like, stop sending it to me. So I really yeah. love that you broke that down because the amount of money that we're spending and we're losing and lighting on fire when we don't personalize this information is so incredibly. It's just we would really need to look down and really clean that data. So I, I want to take this a step further on the privacy standpoint, because I know that this is a question that I know I get asked a lot of from the CD st- CDP standpoint is in the era of this data privacy is how can CDPs guarantee the customer data is used responsibly?
2: Yeah, so so there's a few things to to break this down. One is like I would say for anyone that's looking at any any of the CDPs out there is there's certifications that that are out there and we actually have to go through them to be certified with OEMs. The two most common ones are SOC two, um, and the other one is ISO ISO 2000, uh, 00, uh, 71, uh is the other one. So first step would be if you're working with someone that's going to be handling your data, you you have to check the box to say are you either SOC two or ISO, right? That's step 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 one. Step two is like in terms of marketing to customers, obviously you can you can have you know the customers being up you know opt out, and then, and I'll, I'll give. Uh, you know, just kind of a tidbit here is that as we delve into the working with peak world customer data, we oftentimes have a lot of surprises. So if I'm Al and Al says, Hey, we've had this store forever. It's huge. We we have a database of a hundred thousand people. Like we we will be able to hit so many people, but I would tell the dealers out there to make sure that you have a very, very clear lens into your opt out strategy. Because there are some CRM providers out there, and I will not name names, that will auto opt people out, and you can't delineate who actually opted out versus mm. someone that opted out because you know there's list cleaning and all that stuff. So I would say on that side, that's also a really, really you know, important component on it. The, the other thing is that one of the, the big powers of CDPs is actually, and, and this isn't talked about, about in automotive, is ad suppression. And what I mean by that is that if Brooke came in and bought the Toyota Corolla, what a CEP enables you to do is to say, well, I know that Brooke bought the Corolla. So now all of my emails and all of my ads that I'm sending out to Brooke are now stopped. And then for, for Allie, now I can queue up service, right? So now I can say, are there any service reminders that are going out? So now I can shift. And I can see what's happening. So I know Brooke brought the the Corolla. And now I can then shift and say, all right, now I'm going to queue up service cadences. And then as they become a customer, and we talk about lifetime value of customers, we know when their financing terms or if they have equity in their vehicle to then start hitting the customer throughout the whole journey. And all of that is really where it becomes very powerful. So in terms of like, you know, I that was a little bit uh round about of your question, but in terms of like privacy, I look at like sending information to consumers as partially product, but the other thing is making sure that your provider that you work with as one of those two certifications.
0: Well, and I, I taking that way, maybe this is my, my too much of the way, so still could be for a little bit, but you mentioned a couple of things there. One, one about the opt-out, and that is something that drives me bonkers when I go into CRMs and they say that, oh, we've opted this customer out. Like, that's great, but yet you're still sending campaigns. And it could be a, a glitch with the CRM. The CRM just randomly turned on by itself mm-hmm. because technology can fail and it sends out. Or it could be that even with the CDP, there's certain things like an OEM may not integrate with it just because OEMs are, they're OEMs. So you may opt them out and they may be opted out. Or maybe someone, just because you opted them out, someone can still buy a list and then right. that, that customer can still be sent something. So understand just because you opt them out doesn't mean the customer is still not going to get something. And so that right. communication of hey with GLB and FTC and all that fun stuff that also leads us to drinking, that to still get sent to the customer and understand of how that communication is going to happen. So there's there's so many things to understand of how that works. And like you said, the ad suppression. So I I, I love that whole part of it. And understand once again, understanding me because there's so many layers to CDPs. And this is outside the automotive industry. This is used a lot inside the automotive industry. It there are a lot more hurdles to overcome with CEPs, uh, as we all know how our automotive industry works. So there's just a lot of hurdles with that, with ADF and XML and uh, all the fun stuff with that. So I, I want to go back over to Mike with Reunion here just to talk a little bit about GA4. G- I'll say GA4, but also with advertising in general. So Al, if you want to chime in or anyone who wants to chime in with this, because the- we-, we touched on thresholding for a hot second there and delayed reporting so just a little bit about how do you recommend dealerships navigate the hurdles to extract i'll say meaningful insights when you have it's still in the early stages of, of google yeah. and we all well i won't say we all some people maybe are, they're new to the game with google and they're like why can't i get this like i personally know that if i want to see certain data it's just not there and i'm gonna have to either export it but if you don't have the right permissions you can't export it and you just drive, like you get in there i made a report it's not there so some of those hiccups and, and Al, I'm sure that you're, you have to deal with this a lot where you get in there like, I am going to freaking rip my hair out. It's just not there. So I'll, I'll, I'll open this up. We'll start with Mike and like kick it off and go over some jumps in. How do you deal with this to, tr- to actually get those insights where it's really difficult?
1: So I think at the, the basic level, right, is strategy, right? If you walk in, you have a partner and they're not strategically talking about the KPIs and what you're most valuable to you, you've already lost, right? You need to know what is most valuable because if you get lost down there, There's a lot of data. There's a lot of information out there. It can be very overwhelming very quickly. And so first is defining that strategy, whether it's your SEO, your SCM, or your social strategy and how they complement one another. I think something that's incredible that Full Path has done is they have figured out how to complement one another very well with their CDP. It's extraordinary. I've had a lot of uh, insights into your different visualization platforms and they're incredible. Beyond that is that when you strategically identify what KPIs are most valuable, getting the data out, no one's bypassing the 72 hours it is what it is. <laughs> like, It's one of those things that Google has put on top of us and it suppresses us to a degree, but only if you allow it, right? And so at the end of the day, what you really have to talk about is ETL. So extract, transform, and load, right? As most organizations are going to need a middleware to extract data out, make sure it's consistent, make sure it's correct, transform that data however you would need, then load it into that visualization tool that you would need. Um, For us, you know, we recommend things like Supermetrics, Stitch, FiveTrain, et cetera. We accept with BI tools like Looker Studio or Power BI are definitely visualization tools that are extremely useful. Uh, we over here, we kind of build our own ETL tool as we have identified that a lot of the dealers, 99% of the KPIs you guys are talking about are very similar, right? And so we were like, oh, well, let's bypass some of this because a lot of those tools, they'll give you the whole enchilada and they won't break it down for you to actually be like cost per hit in a way. And so we really recommend is at the basic level, the strategy define those KPIs And uh, identifying those middleware tools, such as an ETL tool and a BI tool to allow you to extract the data, transform it, and then load it into its different locations.
3: I think one of the things you said uh, early on there, Mike, that, you know, I think is most important for anybody, you know, listening to it right here, is know your KPIs, you know, for going into it. And, um, you know, that's the most important thing, you know, because you can, it's like, and here's the thing, I'm a numbers guy. You know, I'm not, I don't go as far in the weeds as far as you do, obviously. Um, but it's the numbers can tell whatever story you want it to tell, you know, and I've sat down with so many different people who want to show me a campaign that killed it. You know, they're going to go through here. It's like, look at this right? I'm like, well, okay, guess what? Time on page isn't one of my KPIs. Selling more cars is one of my KPIs. Picking up market share is one of my KPIs More ROs. Those are my KPIs. That's how I can measure if a campaign's killing it. So, Know the KPIs and then set up the parameters to measure what you want to go. Because again, you know, based off everything you said, Mike, and and I know, and I've gotten really deep into the weeds on Google Analytics. Brooke and I actually talked about this at conference a little while ago. It's like, you know, we can almost blow our brains out because we get so focused on what analytics is doing that we lose track of what's actually happening in our stores. You know, and where people walk through the doors is the the phone ringing, you know. So, but the KPIs, I think as long as you start there, then you're able to get the right
1: Exactly. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that's you kind of touched my critical point there. And I think, Brooke, you said early on, it was like the concept of visibility across your strategy, right? Where it's, you know, you hear a lot about GA4, but at the end of the day, GA4's power is behind on website behavior, right? What about your visibility? What about your reach, right? Like, how are these things playing a cornerstone in your SEO, your total SEO strategy or your SEM or social strategy? So I definitely 100% agree with that. And then on the, the backside of that, it's like, how am I seeing that? Because, Brooke, you're right. You go into GA4 right now and it's it's totally different. Yeah. It's a whole new jungle. Right. <laughs> how do you set up GA4 though? And then pull that information out so it's easily accessible. Because at the end of the day, you do not want your partner having to go through all the mud and figure everything out. You want it easy, accessible, and quick.
0: Yeah. And it's and too, Al, to your point is Having that initial conversation on onboarding, I don't care what the tool is, whether it's GA4, whether it's, well, I don't care what the tool is. If you don't have that onboarding that onboarding conversation, is so critical to knowing what success looks like to the dealer and that, that vendor partner better have that conversation. Because to Al's point, if they're saying, oh, time on site, I'm like, I don't care about time on site. I want to know what my impression share is. Do we lose it to rank? Do we lose it to budget? Are we gaining market share? If we're not, we have a problem. Oh, I thought I cared about bounce rate. No one cares. First off, we can't even, we're not even measuring bounce rate anymore. So why are you looking at that? And that can be, that can be all done anyway. So I don't know why you were measuring it in the first place, but don't get me started on that. But all those things, you know, what does success look like? And if you're not measuring that to, to what the dealer sees as success, you've lost. So having that that communication is so, so key. Ali, I'm going to come to you here now. Okay. Is that in what you do, you've taken over as VP. So what are some of those tools to adapt to integrate in your dealership to have that success and to move Cavendr to where you guys want to be? What are some of those tools you all are using?
4: Yeah. So this is perfect I was having a meeting this morning. So actually, am I allowed to say tools that I like to use? Uh, sure. Okay. Know. So like, what are you guys using to, for, to yeah have success, man? Okay. So this is this is a passion project of mine. So, one of the tools that I was able to bring on to our team when I was at the JLR store was actually My Karma. So, I'm not sure if y'all are familiar with that, but basically, you guys are hitting the points on the marketing side and the internet and our communication with customers there. It's talking about transparency and visibility, that is, it was created as a messaging tool, it's a communications tool. So, it basically takes all the CRM data puts it into one location, and then it streamlines the communication piece. So when I get passionate about people, this job in its just basic form is a very, I'm gonna get so, and people are gonna be so mad. It's a very easy job. You take the customer's car, you find out what's wrong with it, and you give it back to the customer. So at its basic form. But the hardest part is the easiest thing, which is the communication. Because you start to juggle communicating with this customer and adding this customer and then communicating with the tech and then adding nixon and warranty company and you know so it becomes this very big web but for us it's the tool of saying you're my customer from the moment you bought that car to the moment that you're not around with us anymore because there's no reason that after this first car you're not still our customer forever and ever and so for me um, i actually just like this conversation this morning and we're looking to bring it to all of our stores because it is wonderful and it it reminds me of what you're saying with some of this GA4, and again, I'm translating in my own way, but if you don't know what the data is or you don't have the data, you can't be successful. If you have the data, but you don't know what your goal is, you still can't be successful. And so what we talked about with this is it opens our eyes and opens the visibility and the transparency to some really ugly, raw data, which is we're not always talking to our customers the way we need to. Or as often as we need to, or in the language that they need us to. And so the first step is very, and I get this stuff because I don't like it, but it's part of the process. You open it up and you go, Oh my gosh, I haven't talked to Big Al in three weeks. No wonder he's mad. Why is he calling the GM? Well, so you start there and then you start to build from that. And then it goes back to that, again, that relationship and that you build that trust, you build that rapport, and then you have truly have that customer for life. So it's all about communication tools, guys. Amen. <laughs> I, I, it's that going back to that
0: retention, right? If you yeah, don't retain yeah. the customer, if they're not coming back for service, they're not buying a car from you again. Right. I, I, it's, I, I've got to get my car serviced and the place where I bought it is like an hour away. So I'm like, I'm not going to go service there. So I go, I need to go service. The last place I got to service is right down the street from me and I'm not going back there. They, they've lost my trust. So I'm going to go to somewhere else. It's a little bit further away, but it's like, if you can't, if they had done a good job, I would probably buy a car from this place that's down the street from, but they have just lost all trust, all my trust. And I've, I've given them two times. I was like, eh, we're done. We're done. So I, I love what you're saying all about that. So Mike, C, am coming to you next. And this is a question that I, it's, we've talked about CDPs, we've got, you know provided you know, what a CDP is. And because it is still so new, this question, I think, is something that a lot of people are probably like, okay, yeah, oh, I, I need a CDP. Slow down. Because there's a lot of questions you got to ask. You really have to think, I always say like work backwards to work forward. But when someone is now thinking, okay, we're considering that CDP partner, what are those key vetting questions dealerships should be asking to ensure that tailored solution and that it's going to ensure success for bo- both parties?
2: Yeah, great, great, uh, great question. I would say, you know, over the last two years since we, you know, we kind of started bringing the CDP uh, e- ecosystem into um, into automotive uh, you know, <clears throat> I always say at NADA, it's like a, it's like a world series of press releases. Um, I saw like, uh, I saw like eight CDPs pop up. Um, so I would say if you were to boil everything down and say, are, are you a CDP or, or are you a list builder, which is also a really effective tool, right? A lot of list builders are saying we are a CDP because I'm looking at customer data, right? Mm-hmm. But the, if, the the linchpin of a CDP is, can I have a single view of a customer? Gotcha. Meaning, can I ingest events from what Brooke is doing? What is she looking at um, on my marketing channels, whether that's text, whether that is chat on the site, whether that's phone calls? Is that updating Brooke's customer record? So I have a single view to see, here's what Brooke is doing. Here's how often she's interacting with it. And now I know, actually go to market to her. Right. So, like anything, and, and even if you look again, uh, we always compare ourselves to outside of If you go look at like Tealium, if you go look at Segment, if you go look at any of those guys, this, the one thing that they do is they say, look, here's a single view of a customer. I can see what this bird's doing. So, if you can't do that, they're not necessarily a CDP. They might be a list builder, which again is also a really good tool. And then after you have the single view of a customer, let's say you do a marketing campaign to them, and, and this gets into a little bit of like automation and, and time right al i'm sure you have you know nothing but as we're talking about data i always have the joke that you know your da- If if you have data but you don't have activation all you have is a four-letter word because <laughs> you're just you're just looking at it right like what do you what do you do with the data that's where it becomes really powerful so the second part is is if i if i build the segment and i say all right show me all the people Uh, that looked at F-150s in the last 120 days, I know who the people are and I know that they looked at it. Maybe some of them submitted a lead, maybe some of them didn't. Now, what's the next step? And if I send them a marketing message, will their, again, getting back to the beginning, will their customer record be updated? That I then had the intent on either the BEP or the marketing is now pushed back into the customer record to then say, queue up the next marketing action, Right. That is really where it becomes really powerful is to dictate and say, what's what's happening next? I don't want to talk about what happened, but I want to talk about what's happening next, right? And that is the power of CDPs. And as you're looking at them, those are the questions. And the last piece is, who is doing the activation? Yep. Is it your CDP provider? Is it your, Are you taking the list and sending it to an agency, which is also really good? Is your agency using a CD? We're starting to see a lot of agencies start to use CDPs as well because as they know it's a pain in the you know, yes. ass to go through and uh, do you. all that stuff. So like the activation and the automation of who who is marketing next and if you draw that out and let's say I have 10,000 active shoppers on my site, do you have enough time to build an individualized marketing campaign for 10,000 people or do you leverage automation to say, all right, here's what happened, Queue this up and then send it out, right? So,
0: Yeah. And I, the other thing I'll add to that is, do you own the data? That is another question I always ask is, okay, it, all right, Mr. and Mrs. CDP provider, if we split p- ways at some point, do I own the data? That is one that uh, the, the push. The other one is that I always like to ask as well is, what is the push-pull integration? Because Because of Automotive, CRMs don't always play well. So do you have one? Do you have both? Is it on on the roadmap? What are we looking at? Just so so you know where you sit, what are the capabilities? Um, Hey, I have a weird DMS or I have a weird CRM. What are you looking at? Because if I make notes in your CDP, is that going to push over? What is the email? And make sure you talk to someone that actually has that CDP because you may be told that's the case and you may feel that's the case. But until you actually do the fact checking to understand is that actually the case, you don't really know so just sure you really do your homework on that so i that's a very comprehensive list so if you have any questions you have some really bright minds on this panel today so ask reach out to them reach out to them so uh man this has been an incredible incredible conversation day so just ah uh, love it love it all right everyone it, it is that time it is that wonderful time where we are going to be jumping in to. if i i just i just lost this so we were going to jump into it but there we go there we go Lighting around with all of our amazing things. So, you know, normally we have first stop here, but we have so many people on. today. So I'm going to start with Al because uh, my right, let's might be my left. So I don't really know what side you're on right now, Al, but you're on one side of me. So Al, we're going to first start with how can everyone find you? Let's start with that one and we've got your link down here. So it's down at the very bottom here. How can people get in touch with you, Al? Uh,
3: via that link right there, Al. No, it's. Uh... <laughs> yeah, just go, get everyone go click on it. <laughs> now, be- the best way to get a hold of me is uh, probably LinkedIn. You know, it's, that's where I connect with. I don't have rules when it comes to LinkedIn. I'll connect with anybody, you know, like some of my social media is like family only or whatever like that. But LinkedIn, just look for Big Al. That's the easiest way to find me.
0: Fantastic. All right. So that means, Allie, uh, we're coming to you next. How can everyone get in touch with you?
4: Same. LinkedIn, Allie Peters. <laughs> that's me. Fantastic. That's the yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> Mike C, coming to you next.
2: Yeah, I would say uh, LinkedIn. We put out a lot of um, a lot of good content um, for the company, and also you can email me, Mike at full pack.
0: Oh, there we go. He's he's throwing down emails now, ladies and gentlemen. So we got we got going down there. All right, Mike B, coming to you next.
1: Yep, I have to agree. LinkedIn, it's the number one place. Right, I will follow up with my fellow Mike by saying Michael at reunionmarketing.com is probably the fastest way to get to me. It's the easiest thing, and the thing I look at the most often. <laughs>
0: I love it. Okay, so we, we, we've got where everyone can follow everyone. So next question, and I'm going to start with Mike B this way and work our right way around the other direction now. The question for everyone is going to be, the name of the show is Facts Not Failing. So whether it's in professional life or it can be in your you know, you know know daily life, a business life, whatever it may be, how are you distinguishing facts from feelings? So let's go, Mike B, start us off.
1: That's an easy one for me because uh, when Renew Marketing was founded, it was based on the premise of Data Beats Intuition. And that has been pretty much the bedrock of our train of thought for many, many years now. And even before that, it was as well. So I will always, you can, you can say as many things as you want at me, but if you bring me the data, I will probably believe you. And then I will go back and I'll look at it and I'll counter it. But then I'll, I will eventually believe you if data is correct. So data beats intuition.
0: Love it. Love it. Uh, over to you, Mike C.
2: Uh, mine, mine is very similar. Uh, I would say data over emotion.
4: Love it. Okay, Allie, up to you. Okay, so I'm different. I'm not the date girl, but I cover the name. So the idea being if there was not a name that you could see next to the information, your data, would I still have the same feeling as if when I saw that person's name? So, but like you broke and you're underperforming, okay, but if I covered the name, would you still be okay with the team expectations? I love it. I actually, that that was
0: brought to me, God, this is like eight years ago, someone had a report just to prove a point, and they cover the names up, and I was like, "That is a beautiful. I, I love it." So very, very true. Big Al, bring us home.
3: I hate to repeat Mike and Mike, but it's not, but same thing. It's it's always data, and I've always said, you know, it doesn't matter what I think; it's what the data tells me. You know, so I'll never make a decision based off what I think; it's what the data tells
0: me. I that you that, that, that's hence name the, the show. That's it. Right. Yeah, it's very true. And like, like a lot of people will take a report and try to, to your point, Al, you said this earlier on the show, and try to switch. The, I'll use like statistics, like to try to manipulate the report. But if it's true data, you know, show me the data and we're good to go. Good to go. All right. We're going to take a little bit of a different turn on, you know, sometimes I'll ask the same questions, but Allie, we were talking before the, before the show. And so I want to take this question Is tell, I want to, so we're going to start with Allie on this one. Is tell the audience something that they may not know about you. Let's. Do, I I want to go back direction on this one. So I'm going to start with you on this one.
4: Okay. So this is different than what we were talking about. I know. Okay, okay. So I really enjoy watching UFC. I love it. So
0: do I. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I don't think people would know. That about you. I I, no, I, I th- you thought I was going to go the one direction, but I I, I didn't. did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Al, over to you.
3: Uh. So yeah, a weird thing that nobody knows about me is that I can solve a Rubik's cube in less than a minute. What? Wow, Little
0: smarty pants over here! I know it's pretty amazing. I'm, brand- no, I'm brand-
4: gonna
3: <laughs> bring one to Vegas. You should come. You can like Rook,
4: can he be the outro? Can you like? Yeah, I, don't I don't know. Know.
3: Has- literally <laughs> have two it's of them. That chair, break on my chair next to the fireplace, and I'll just sit there at home and just mess around with it. It's like a stress reliever for me. Wow.
0: So uh, we, we got to know when did you start the Rubik's Cube? Uh, like, how did this all start?
3: So, my son asked for one for Christmas about three, four years ago uh, because he saw a TikTok of, hey, this is how quickly you can solve a Rubik's Cube. He opened it up and he did the movie he saw on TikTok and it didn't work. And he goes, well, that's dumb. And then he just threw it on the ground and I was like, well, let me try to figure it out. So, uh, I struggled with it for a while, watched a couple of YouTube videos and then just kept practicing at it. Like I said, kind of a stress reliever for me. So what's the secret? Uh well, it's understanding the parts on the queue. And then it's just like it's like building a house. There's a foundation. You start at the bottom and work your way up. And that's like incredible. When most people look at it, all they see is random colors. You just gotta know where you're starting.
0: Wow. I really thought you were gonna say the secret is big Al. I thought that's what you were gonna say there.
3: <laughs> oh, because there's those guys who you do it like in five seconds. There was your secret guys. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, let's go. Uh, Mike B, what's uh, something that the, uh, some people wouldn't know about you? Or- oh, my
1: gosh. So, a lot of people would never hear me utter this word at work, but I have two children under the age of three. And so, spa days are amazing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
4: I love it. That's Sunday, yes.
0: Secret is out now. Secret is out. <laughs> oh, mercy. All right, Mike C.
2: Um, if you want to see myself as a 24 year old, uh, playing baseball, I was on a uh, TV show my rookie year. Uh, so you can go to, uh, just go to, uh, YouTube and you can just type in playing for peanuts and you can see a long haired, uh, 20 pounds lighter, uh, me at 24 years old for 10 episodes.
0: Okay. You know what everyone's doing after this, this recording now is everyone's going to go Google Mike. So, (laughs) Between that and like the Rubik's cubes, that's what we're all gonna go do. Yeah. Ike is now gonna go book a spa day. I think we're good to go. You're watching UFC. I think I think our our, our next like hour and a half is set. We're gonna start today. Here we're good to go. Oh <laughs> uh, everyone, thank you so much. I so appreciate it. And once again, everyone, we are speaking. We've got a big, very incredible panel. A digital dealer. We are speaking Wednesday, I believe, at one p.m. We've got an incredible, incredible, amazing panel. Like this is just. While this episode was quite amazing, if I say so myself, we have even more amazing people and panelists on our panel. Once again, I just said that, but I'm say it again at 1 p.m. at Digital Dealer Wednesday. And as always, everyone, find a way to survey, find a way just to help and serve someone, whether that is a kind smile, whether that is open a door, just find a way to be the joy in someone's life in their day-to-day. And with that, everyone, we will see everybody next week. You've been listening to Facts Not Feelings with Brooke Furness. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Leave us a rating. If you know a friend or a colleague will benefit from today's episode, share it with them. Until next week, find a way to serve someone. Find a way to help your neighbor. Remember, we are all in this together.